If you're an adult amateur horse lover who wonders what it takes to make magic with horses, you're in the right place. I'm Paige Lockton, and this is The Magic of Horsecraft. Join me for conversations with wizards in the world of horsecraft about the ingredients needed to build connection with horses and courage in life. Turns out these things are connected. How do I know? <laughs> like most things, I learned the hard way. I lost the magic I once had with horses. In regaining it, I discovered that the elements of connection are learnable. Whether you ride your horses forwards, backwards, or sideways, stick around for stories that show us how we are the same and that anything is possible. Take a chance. I am so excited to now bring you someone that I was truly blessed to meet. Um, I would love to do a re-interview of Marty uh, under something uh, somewhat of a different lens than we covered in what you're going to hear today. So in um, today's episode, um, you'll hear us talk about all things uh, magical between horses and humans, things we've um, learned um, or forgotten at our peril. Uh, we've shared stories. And, um, but before we mic'd up, we shared something that we have in common. Um, and both of us managed to do what we do um, in spite of, or because of, or I'm not sure what of, um, a fair amount of anxiety and management. Um, so Marty and I are both driven to want to make the world more comfortable and harmonious for horses and humans, um, particularly adult amateurs and ranchers and country people who want companion horses and who whose journey uh, isn't looking the way they hoped it would be. So um, both of us have a mission to share what we know will help these people if they understand it and embrace it. And we started to talking. So I, I met Marty through my cousin, Lisa, when I was there over a year ago and um, asked her to steer me towards someone who embodied good horsecraft um, across the disciplines that I wanted to define it um, separate from how we practiced horsecraft. Um, and uh, she steered me to Marty. Um, so I had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing him. And he truly defines horsemanship. It's Marty Gardner from Flat Top Horsemanship. And he's the epitome of what my dad and I are bringing together for our course. Was well, a crossbred offspring of a Western cowboy come veterinarian and an English horsewoman. I've always looked for the common threads that unite and define good horsecraft. I found plenty of them in Marty. We could talk horses for days. Marty brings together the best of many disciplines with a kind, inquisitive mind and a gentle, patient touch. With a background in working ranch horses, classical dressage and baquero riding, and a love for Andalusians, he brings a lot of tools and a depth of understanding to the arena. His definition of horsemanship says it all. Horsemanship, the ability to help horses understand and function within our world without losing their dignity and spirit. His mission, the pursuit of unity. If you're searching to deepen your connection or overcome fear with your horse, particularly if you're in Southern Alberta uh, and even online, Marty's your man. <laughs> so 
So stay tuned for an interview that I did ages ago. And if you have questions about how um, we manage our anxiety and what Yvonne does to uh, did to help support us at the interview that you're going to hear, um, you can ask questions about that. I will post the interview on YouTube as well. You can see that at pagelockedandwild.ca um, and on my YouTube channel. Cheers. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. So I am in Southern Alberta today with a new friend, Marty Gardner. And I met Marty at the Bar U Ranch just uh, last weekend. He was with a student and they were doing a cowboy challenge, which if you don't know what that is, is sort of like a trail class on steroids. <laughs> and um, they were there for fun to test the relationship of a developing rider and her horse that she's been working on beautifully for years. And we clicked. We had a lot in common. And my whole theme is finding the commonalities between different disciplines. I don't care whether you ride them forward, backwards, or sideways, or whether you use them to work on ranches, which is part of my family history and background on my dad's side, or you ride them English, like my mom did. Um, I care whether the horses are happy and what our common threads are. So we started talking. And I'll tell you a little bit about Marty. Um, he grew up in ranch country, uh, started on feedlots, ended up managing some of the biggest ranches around. Um, in doing so, worked with so many horses in all kinds of situations. And people noticed that his horses were happy reliable, working well, and started to ask him a little bit about what he was doing. So he started teaching and sharing. And uh, Marty is one of those horse people that I admire that continue to learn and have branched out into other modalities. So apart from all kinds of championships in uh, cow horse, working horse, ranch horse, area. He's got something new that I just learned about that we'll learn about a little la later. It's new to me. It's actually ancient, but it's new to me. And that's vaquero or vaquero, as we would say it in North America, Spanish riding. He works with Andalusians. And that brought him into learning about classical dressage to pull all the pieces together. And here's where we share another common thread, because Marty trained with um, a former écuyer or master of the Cadre Noir, which is in Saumur. And my old coach, Jack Legoff, also was the head of the Cadre Noir in Saumur, maybe just before Philippe Carl. That's who you worked with, wasn't it? I, did, I didn't actually work you with studied him, but it. I've studied him and, yeah. and uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of his teachings and, and reading his material, but I've never met him in, in person. Yeah. And so was it um, studying his work that helped pull together some of the common threads that you were looking for? Uh, absolutely, for sure. I mean, I've always been a, a the type of person I draw from anywhere, anywhere I feel that I can get some value from some teachings. And um, Philippe Carl was kind of my first introduction to seeing uh, a modern day live person doing, riding a horse in a classical way and doing, doing, um, like staying very traditional with his training approach. So it was, a, it was a chance for me to see live video or, or, um, 
to see him actually in action applying the principles that mm -hmm. I was learning from the books from the masters yeah. from the 1600s because unfortunately we didn't have YouTube back in the 1600s <laughs> where we could just you know go and go and watch a, a Boucher or a Cavendish ride a horse and interview them and ask them about things so yeah so Philippe Carl was kind of because he was the head of the the Cardinal he was he he was kind of my first introduction to seeing a live version of of those teachings from so long ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me that those teachings are ancient and that they haven't changed because they, they don't were. need to change yeah, and, and the horses are happy is how you know they work. Mm -hmm. um, and that they were so um, quiet, systematic, one little step at a time and never ever breaking their trust but that um, generally they were training for war. So on the one hand, we're training for war, which is in, <laughs> requires violence, yes. um, but training of the cavalry horses, which is where eventing came from, and, yes. and my background of eventing, um, you know, took them four or five years to get them to that level, mm -hmm. and they would never break their trust. It was all um, softness and... Yeah. Well, I think that's because there was a lot riding on the line here. There was, I mean, you had, you had to pay the ultimate price if you weren't diligent yeah. in your taking whatever time it needed to take to, to create that partnership with your horse because the circumstances were so severe. If you cheated that process at all, the result was death. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it wasn't very hard to motivate these folks to come and work with their horses every day and, and get them as handy as they could get and get their get the connection and the unity with the horse as strong as possible because the the ultimate price will be paid if you're if you're shortcutting that system. So yeah. it's like you say, it is it is kind of a conundrum because on one side you need the, the peace and quiet and the connection, but they're going into a world that is so full of uncertainty and, and violence. Mm -hmm. And uh, um yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like to live in those times with that kind of pressure to be, you know, trotting or marching on your horse to a field somewhere, knowing that mm -hmm. it's all going to come down to the relationship between me and this horse if I come home or not. I wonder if um, pressure is pressure. You know, we put pressure on ourselves to perform, and although our lives aren't on the line, well, you could argue that they are working with horses at any time, but cross-country riding for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that our relationship is being tested equally if we're testing our relationship and show nerves in a ring at a cowboy challenge and the horse is unfamiliar with some of the things being asked or it's going cross-country or marching off to war. Or maybe pressure is pressure. And yeah, I think, like, you know, for myself and for lots of the folks that I work with, um, I don't know if it's so much about the pressure. It's there's something about these animals. It's about the connection. Yeah. And so, so whenever we get into environments, and you know the the soldier who's marching off to war. I mean, his his circumstances are a lot more serious than somebody in a in a yeah. working or a um, a cowboy challenge competition yeah. or something. But. All in all, I think what people are after with horses, for sure, because they're so different than working with a machine, is that connection. And, mm -hmm. and that that when that connection gets exposed, that's when we 
it, the pressure shows up. Yeah. That's when we start to notice the, um, our anxiety is getting high or our temper may be raising or, or maybe it's, it's a happy emotion when we have the connection um, really put together with us and the horse. I mean, I use that, that war analogy. It's, it's kind of like the ultimate, test, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, but, absolutely. But if you went in there with the confidence that you'd put the time in and, and you knew that you put more effort into working with the connection of this horse than the other fella that you're about to mm-hmm. match up against, then then I think your confidence and that pressure and that anxiety is not going to get to you as much as it's going to get to the other fella. Yeah. And the connection is what it's all about, and that's what um, the average adult amateur who is taking up the sport or young person is taking up the sport now, um, now that it's not usually passed down generation to generation as it was, and um, there are fewer clubs supporting young riders along the way, like pony clubs aren't as well attended anymore and that sort of thing. People are seeking connection with their horses, and I think it can be a source of frustration when they have an ideal and they don't achieve it. And so that's part of what we're trying to dig out here and tease out is what is that connection all about and what does good horsemanship look like? Yeah. Um, so I have a question about good horsemanship and I wonder if you can think of an example or a story in your history where you've witnessed something and you were like, yes, that was a beautiful piece of horsemanship. For sure. Maybe, maybe if I can, before I even jump into that story, let, sure. me, let me tell you, uh, about horsemanship. Mm-hmm. Um, another quick story is I had a young lady named Shanice. She called me. She was a um, in 4-H, and she was about to go and do a speech on horsemanship. And so she had been coming to me for some lessons for a little while, and she phoned me and asked me if she could kind of interview me on the phone about horsemanship. So her first question, and it kind of set me back, was, what is horsemanship? And I was like, oh, wow, you want, a, you want a definition like right off the bat? And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. And so I thought about it for a second, then I don't know where it came from, but within the next 30 seconds, what's up on my wall there came to me. Horsemanship is the ability to help horses understand and function within our world without losing their spirit or dignity. Beautiful. Yeah, so, so that's... That really resonated with me, and it yeah. resonated with Shanice, and then so she she formulated her speech based on that definition. And so, so when when I tell you that's where I'm coming from as far as a, um, my belief of what horsemanship is, then so now I'll tell you this quick story about a fellow that um, I I who's a friend of mine. Um, years and years ago, I was at a, a ranch roping, mm-hmm. and I. Um, in ranch roping, we kind of have two divisions. We have an open division and a novice division. So I was on my horse and I was helping folks in the novice division because we were running that part of the conference, uh, the competition. And I noticed that um, they were announcing, the announcer was announcing that they needed somebody to come and judge the, the novice roping that was about to happen. So they, need, they needed an open roper mm-hmm. who was done roping to come. And so one of the fellas that, that um, qualified as being a judge, his name was Kyle. And so Kyle volunteered and said, I'll do it. I'll be right there. So he came over and he got, came into the arena. And um, the announcer said to him, unfortunately, Kyle, the rules state that the judge has to be mounted on a horse. And Kyle said that 
uh, oh, I just put my horse away because I just I just finished roping in the open and he did a good job and stuff. So I've untapped him and everything. So I, And so all of a sudden, somebody that was in the crowd there that was sitting on a horse volunteered their horse to Kyle and said, here, Kyle, you could sit on my horse to judge the novice. And he said, thank you very much. And he, and he said to me, what's your horse? Here he said to this fellow, what's, it, what's your horse's name? And he told him. And so, um, you know, Kyle tightened the cinch and he sat on this horse. And, and I could tell right away, and, and Kyle was a really handy bridle horseman. And I could feel him, he's checking this horse out, and it didn't feel the way his horse would feel. Mm-hmm. It, it might have been a little stiffer or a little not as supple or who knows, but you could just tell in his presentation to like what was going on and it didn't feel familiar to him like his horse. He wanted to do something about it. And so during this whole roping, while Kyle was judging what was going on, I, I don't know why, but I just, I kept watching Kyle and every chance he got, he would just kind of pick up a feel on that horse and just wait for him to soften and supple up a little bit. And he would just, it just felt like he kept saying to the horse, how can I help you? How can I, how can I give you a good deal? How can I help this, this experience between the two of us be, be, how can we be connected? Even mm-hmm. though we're only going to know each other for a short time here, how could we, um, how could, what could I do for you? Mm-hmm. That was the kind of the, the impression I was getting for Kyle. And so I, I, every chance I got, I was watching this going on. And then what what really struck me and was after Kyle had finished judging all of the rounds and everything, he, he got off this horse and there was no, it wasn't like he was checking out the horse to buy. It wasn't like that he was probably never going to see this horse again or he was never going to have much to do with it. He, he got off his horse and it, it kind of gets gets me really emotionally is he reached up there and he petted this horse and he thanked him for letting him sit on him for the time that that uh, he was um, on the horse judging and he thanked him and, he, and I, the thing that really got to me was Kyle's appreciation nice. of the opportunity to ride this horse and uh, yeah that stuck with me all these years about like there was no there was no monetary gain or there was no nothing. Yeah. He just wanted to give that horse a good deal. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. If this is resonating with you and you've ever felt a little lost as you navigate conflicting data from horse pros across the disciplines, all claiming to have their own methods or recipes for making magic with horses, and you want the clarity and confidence to make sense of it all, I have a roadmap for you. Check out our foundation course. Consider it Horsecraft 101, from amateur to magician, making magic with horses. A unique group coaching program with live online support that helps adult amateurs from non-horsey families who are seeking understanding and connection become the best stewards for their horses in nine weeks, without conflicting data, lack of knowledge, or not knowing where to go to for help. So they understand how and why horses think and react the way they do to create a relaxed and confident relationship. If you're still on the fence, we have a freebie for you. If you're ready, so are we. You can get started at themagicofhorsecraft.com. Until then, take a chance and remember, anything is possible. 
That is beautiful. Absolutely. And you know, I, it's something I just posted on Facebook the other day had to do with um, how much farther people will go when you show them appreciation. And I mm -hmm. said the same thing goes for horses. Absolutely. And my horsemanship story is, um, goes back to when I was six years old and I went to see a good friend and mentor, David Godson, mm -hmm. um, who was at some trials before the 76 Olympics mm -hmm. at a horse place called Caledon. And one of the first people I saw go around the cross country course after every fence said she was on a mare, good girl, yeah. good girl. And I went home and after every fence I jumped on the cross country, I'd be good boy, yeah. good boy. And um, I think it was the key to my success with some um, hot and formerly ruined horses that got turned around. They liked doing it because they were so well appreciated. And so I've, that always stuck with me from the time I was six years old. I, I find horses a lot like people. They, when when you you critique and punish the negative, yeah. especially with a person or a horse, is they start maybe learning the lesson, but they start regretting the teacher. Yeah. Whereas, where or the person that's trying to help them do the right thing, but whereas if you can focus on what the horse is doing right or what the human is doing right. As a teacher, you you not only help the person get connected to a horse, let's say, or or the feeling is so much different when we're looking for positive things instead of negative things. Mm -hmm. But also as a teacher, then then the connection gets stronger with the student because they start looking forward to coming to visit with you. Or if it's a if it's a person and a horse, the horse starts looking forward to the to the the human coming to work with the horse. In a in a positive, instead of being told everything they're doing wrong all the time, yeah. you know, it, it it just creates a whole different energy yeah. between between um, the the two entities that they they start looking forward to the to the conversation between each other because it's it's there to lift up instead of knock down. Yeah, that makes sense. My former students are going to love this. Yeah. <laughs> the synergies we find here are phenomenal. That's yeah. My favorite word, synergies. Yeah. Oh, uh, I will use. Um, recently, I was helping a friend of mine named Carly, and I said a thousand thank yous. You want to find a thousand reasons a day if you can, as many times as you can to say thank you, okay. and don't think that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Every time they get something right, every time they yield, every, and sometimes. You know they get things right by accident, but if you reward that, sure. then they'll they'll try again. Absolutely. Yeah, that is beautiful. Sure. Um, so a lot of uh, everything that we do with horses um, requires, I think, a combination of trust and respect. And I, I wonder if you have uh, any stories or examples of how you gain a young horse's trust or their respect and whether one is more important than the other or do they work together? I want to talk a bit about trust and respect. Mm, deep question. <laughs> um, trust and respect. So um, I guess the first part of that is how do you gain trust? Mm-hmm. And I, and I think for me, and this is something I'm continually working on throughout my whole horsemanship journey, I'm hoping I'll get even better at this, is, is I, you know, it starts with, with me with observing <laughs> and being aware. 
and just, I don't know, call it a feeling, but each horse is as different as each person. We all have our own personalities and our own way we see the world. And so I start off with observing and seeing what their personality has to say about how they think about things. And, and then the next part about gaining respect, I think respect comes from inspiring rather than making somebody do something. Mm -hmm. So you, I try and inspire them to teach them things. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I, I teach my students is, um, and I'll, I'll say this right here, is I get, when people come for lessons, especially the people that don't know me personally, and it's their first lesson, I found over the years that they're coming for one of two reasons. They're either coming because their horse won't do something that they wanted to do, or they want a stronger connection with their horse in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so I try and help them understand in that first meeting that connection is built, I feel, with horses when you teach them something that they didn't know before they met you. Mm -hmm. So that something could be anything. It could be how to do a sliding stop or a flying lead change or a Spanish walk or piaf, massage, canter pirouette. It could, the list is endless mm -hmm. of the things we can teach them. But I think a lot of folks, especially in this day and age, they, they send horses to trainers, you know, to fix these problems. And then they come back, the horse comes back to them, and they still don't feel that connection because the, the person who has the connection with the horse is the trainer who taught the horse something that it didn't know before it met the trainer. And so so that trust and that, that respect, I think, it comes when the horse not only knows that or starts to feel that you're, you're there trying to help them, it also comes when they start to figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the things that are important to you? What are the things that um, make you tick? What are the, how, how, um, what's the word I'm looking for? How precise are you? How, how, um, I don't know. I can't find the word right now. But there's this exchange where it's a it's a it's a common communication between us and the horse. That's where the trust I think yeah. gets built. And I don't I don't know like for myself I don't think too much about um, the respect thing as far as something I have to make happen. It's something that just happens because yeah. of the relationship that we're building. Much like you and I are building a relationship because we. We, it's not just me talking to you and it's not just you talking to me. There's this exchange that's going back and forth. Yeah. And I think it's through this exchange of information and questions and, and being able to talk back and forth that um, you're learning about me, but I'm also learning about you, which helps you and I form a trust. Yeah. If that makes sense. And I, so that's what I, that's what I look at the same thing with a horse. It's every time I catch a horse and I work with a horse, it's, it's like, what do you have to say today? And I'll hear you and I'll listen to you. And I say, but I would also like to offer some things that I'd like to say and, and have you here. And, uh, and that's, and, and the other, the, the key ingredient to all this is time. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't get the connection that we all desire in, you know, a 45 minute horsemanship lesson. It's, it's the hours and the, the dedication of working with them horses, days, mm -hmm. months, years. And approaching everything you ask, like you've got all the time in the world to get the answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, I really, really like 
the way you touched on that, because some of what I see in the horse world when uh, people talk about respect is, make them whoa, make them back up, make them be submissive. And it's not about being submissive. Uh, I think that ruins respect and trust. And I think it hinges on when they know you're listening to them and they know they're appreciated, Wow, now we've got something we can work with. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for touching on that. Um, stories. I've got, I got a quick story about a, a horse named Cholo mm -hmm. that was sent to me by, a, by another horse trainer, actually, and it was his own personal horse. And um, Cholo was troubled. He, he, as far as trust and, and respect issues, he was troubled. He, I've never run into a horse that was this defensive. He... If you were within striking distance, he would turn around and back up and start coming at you with both back feet, Oof. like kicking to kill you. He's got a story to tell. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I don't really know the background of how that all got created because I don't think that was like a, a, near, a nature type thing. Like a, I think he learned this behavior somehow. Um, but when I first brought him in here, I, was, and I tried so many different things, like how can I connect with this horse that all he wanted his connection was to have his foot hit me in the head mm. and and I really you know I would bring him in here and I would just turn him loose and I would just sit in a chair and watch him and I'd, I'd try and figure out how can I how can I get some sort of connection with him and this is the listening part of hearing what he had to say and what I found was I had to find something that we could connect on that that kind of give him control of the situation. And the one thing was this kicking. And, you know, everyone, not everyone, but the people I'd worked with had tried to stop him from doing this behavior with every device or way you can think of it. And I kind of came at it from a different approach. I was like, what if I could tell him that what he was doing was exactly what I wanted him to do? Mm -hmm. And he said, and so I, in essence, over a week, I taught this horse how to kick. Mm -hmm if that makes sense. I put a cue on it so that he would kick when I asked him to. And what I noticed was the kicking started to go away because he wouldn't do it until I asked him to. Wow. And once I could once I could ask him to kick to get it out of his system and do all that, then, then he was open to, okay, you're an interesting human. What else have you got to say? Yeah. And so pretty quick, I mean, this was a horse that never had his feet trimmed or... You know, um, he was a big, powerful guy, and because of the kicking, he he had never been groomed before, and things like that. Because it was always a, a these humans are of no use to me kind of a mm -hmm. conversation, and so it was pretty quick. Once I once I taught him how to kick, um, it wasn't long. We were trimming his feet and grooming him, and he was wearing blankets and saddling and and all that stuff. So. So that, I guess that's a little story of how I gained yeah. some trust in a horse was first meeting him where he was at. Exactly. And then trying to yeah. shape him into something that might be to fit that, to help him because he was yep. having trouble um, yeah. I wanna, being in our world. Yeah. yeah. That's um, a beautiful story to touch on and, and it goes back to something my dad, I learned a lot from my dad was um, he defined horsemanship along the lines, and I won't get his words exact, but um, mutual enjoyment, that they've come together for mutual enjoyment and respect. Mm -hmm. And um, he always said, you got to, you know, get their buy-in and make them think it's their idea, you know, and sure. yeah, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, 
one of uh, our guiding principles that I wanted to touch on is based on the fact that they're prey animals. Right. And um, it was actually learned from a chuck wagon racer, of all people. Yeah. <laughs> and my dad said it in so many different scenarios, I figured out where it applied everywhere. And it never, ever served me wrong. And that was never holler woe in a tight spot. Okay. <laughs> um, so I wonder if you have any stories about where it has either served you well or you've done the opposite to your peril. <laughs> Hey, so go deeper in this for me. So, so never, never, holler never woe in a tight spot. yeah, never holler woe in a tight spot means when um, a horse is in a situation that um, is difficult, and for him, he was a chuck wagon racer. Um, send them forward. They get comfort from being forward because right. as prey animals, their instinct is to move from danger. And so often as humans, we're putting them in situations that, that cause stress, whether we're floating teeth or putting them on the trailer or mm -hmm. riding down the road on a young horse for a first time. I wanted to slow down um, and help my dad out on his young colt when I was uh, on my pony babysitting his yeah. young colt. And he said, no, never holler woe in a tight spot. Go forward, go forward, you'll be fine. They feel better when they go forward. So we found a bunch of ways that you can apply that. And when I rode hot horses, um, traumatized horses, they settled under me because I would find ways to allow it. So sure. coming, coming off the trailer, you know, you don't, whoa, 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 you find a way to help them go forward. Right. You don't let them haul you around necessarily, but you invite them to go forward or, sure. yeah. yeah I, look, I look at that, um, those types of scenarios, uh, much like a balloon being <laughs> full of air. If, if a balloon is blown up almost to capacity and it's on the verge of, and you hit it with a pin, it can, it can just explode and yeah. blow. Um, but if you were to undo the knot at the bottom and kind of let the air out slowly, you can still both ways let the air out, but one is more volatile than the other. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my mentors, he, he said to me many, many years ago, he said, whatever your horse is doing, you can do one of three things. You can encourage it, discourage it, or rearrange it. And so, but if you try and trap it or you mm -hmm. try and, um, like, so horses are so claustrophobic, you just, and it's, it's, I know horses don't have the human emotions to things that we, we seem to try and put on them sometimes, but I do think a lot when I see troubled horses or I'm around horses, I do think how, how would I react if I was treated or trained in that method? You know, like if I was, if I was put in a, a woe type situation mm -hmm. where you, you know, somebody held my arms and said, you stand here. And when, if I was a little concerned about something was going on, I know, I know the anxiety would go right up. So, so for myself, I'm always thinking, okay, how would I like to be treated through, through this event or whatever it's going? So and those, those three things I can do have worked really well for me at times. Um, just like that horse Cholo, if I could encourage it or mm -hmm. discourage it or rearrange it then then without popping the balloon and yeah and having it go too far i don't know if i have an actual story of i think that works yeah yeah i don't, I don't you have covered it. it i liked um i'm going to go back and listen again to those options you yeah. can encourage, encourage it. it so if your horse is doing something you like and you would like that and you think the connection is growing you could yeah. the, the ultimate thing you can give a horse to encourage them is a release of pressure hmm. 
right? So you can encourage it, or that could be a pat on the on the neck, or that could be a um, just a release of pressure or some time to catch their breath. So that's encouraging a behavior. Yeah. So if you had a troubled horse that was struggling with something, and all of a sudden they offered something that was closer to what you're looking for, you could you could um, encourage it. Mm-hmm. So then they start looking to do that more often because they'll be like, what, 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 what did I just do that made Paige so happy? Mm-hmm. And then they start doing. It. Then then the other thing you, you can discourage it. You could you could apply some pressure mm-hmm. that might deter them from thinking that way. Um, and then the other thing is rearrange it. So one thing I learned a long time ago is I'm six foot four and I'm a big guy, but every horse I've ever run into is bigger, tougher, stronger than me. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, you know, to, to make for, even though I'm a big guy to make a horse do something that, that it didn't want to do for one thing, I'm not comfortable with putting a horse in that position, but I physically can't. Mm-hmm. I learned a long time ago, if a horse wants to run off, it doesn't matter what bits in their mouth, what spurs you're wearing, what tools you have, they will run off. And so the, that's, I guess that's where the, um, the rearrange comes from is, is how could we, how could we mold, like, instead of saying, stop what you're doing, how could we rearrange that into something that might get us back on track? Yeah. Redirect that energy. I know it's a real hard thing to do when everything's going sideways and it's, happening quite quickly but um i guess that's one reason one of the reasons for for lessons i guess is to learn the habits that you can practice that mm-hmm. stuff before it's uh, uh, imperative that you know it like i always I always think um, um practice is controlled chaos we can we can get uh, learning the skills that we might need for when we have to know these things mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think it's really important to note that I'm six foot one and was generally uh, around 170 pounds when I was competing. Um, and you're six foot four. And that both of us learned that neither one of us was strong enough to control or force a horse to do something. Right. So and that's where, that's where if we aren't. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that as far as a horseman's journey, that's that's one epiphany that the, 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 when you come to realize that first than the physical, what are we going to do to the horse to get them to do things? If we could get them to learn things and, and, and get them searching for what it is we're asking of them, as opposed to a master slave, I do this, you do that kind of a thing. That's that. I mean, and I lived in that world for a long time ago where for a long time where I tried all that stuff and I, it was just, just met with aggravation and frustration and didn't work and yeah the 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 tide totally changed for me when i was when i started thinking about working with the mind of the horse rather than than physically doing things to the horse yeah that ties in beautifully to another one of our guiding principles Mm -hmm. there's a quote by maya angelou and i might not get the words perfectly but it is do the best that you can um, with what you know, mm-hmm. and when you know better, do better, essentially. I might not have gotten the quote exact, but, um, and I know that uh, we have some examples of wishing we had known better and some regrets mm-hmm. um, where we have, say, hollered woe in a tight spot. So we've worked, um, my dad and I, breaking young colts to tie the old-fashioned way tying them to a post with an unbreakable rope and an unbreakable halter. Mm -hmm. And it always 
worked for the ranch horses to a certain degree, I think probably because they were picked for their temperaments and they tended to be smaller, quieter and would give up easier. And, um, but then when you go against that instinct in a highly bred horse and we had a really fancy young horse and it was the first really fancy young horse we bred Mm -hmm. and my dad decided that it was the day to teach him to be halter broke and he didn't survive it. That colt didn't have an ounce of give up in him. We had bred him to be a horse that wouldn't give up, that would run and, you know, and had heart. And so that is one thing that if we could go back (laughs) and and now that we know better, we do better. That's one thing that, that we don't do anymore. That quote, like that brings to mind for me is, um, I hope I can, I hope I can find the words. We have to forgive ourselves for not knowing what we didn't know. Yeah. Um, but the other side of that, if we look for the positive of it, is um, I have many stories of that, like that, where mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know a different way to do it. And I tried to use muscle more than anything and it turned out bad. And I, it, help, it helps me forgive those times when I think that's what's propelled me to where I am now today. That's what made me buy, read the book. That's what made me go to the clinic. Right. Because because of a story, you know, stories like that, that that I I wasn't happy with the way it ended for one, but I didn't even like the way I was going about it. And I didn't like the person I was I was at that time in my life trying to do things that way. But and I can't I can't take away those experiences, right. but I can I can look at the positive and say, OK, well, what do I do moving forward to not stay that person and keep evolving and keep learning and keep keep trying to find different ways to um, say halter broke a, a youngster or something yeah. like that. try and find um, a way that suits the horse better to learn these things and um, yeah that's that's and unfortunately it's it's I, I sometimes throw this out to people too is for a long time I've been playing a, a guitar and it's one of my pastimes that I enjoy doing. And I have yet to learn a new song without hitting a wrong note. And so, That's beautiful. Yeah. So when I, when I talk with people about their horsemanship journey, it's those wrong notes. As long as we don't quit, we can always get better. And, you know, if I, if I keep continually practicing that song or practicing that way to play it, the, the, the bum notes become fewer and fewer and fewer. And that's, that's, that's why, like, one of our... Um, slogans that I like to use is uh, is the pursuit of unity. It's not it's not the perfection of unity. It's a mm-hmm. pursuit. It's 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 a des- it's a journey. We keep moving and we keep moving. So I look at those those bad experiences. If if they wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have felt the joy that I feel sitting here today with the things I've learned because I had just you know it, I just think of you with that horse. If you hadn't have lost that horse through that. How many would have kept yeah. going on going that way? Yeah, we would have kept doing it yeah, the wrong so way. So there was something positive, yeah. came out, even though it's a really terrible situation. And that is true of life in general. I think when we look back and whip ourselves for mistakes or decisions we regret, mm-hmm. um, we win the, we're here to learn, right? And That's right. it's so important as um, horsemen and as humans to evolve. Gosh, these conversations are reminiscent of um, someone else that I'm I follow a lot. Have you heard of Warwick Schiller? Oh yeah, I know. I don't know him, but I've been yeah. Him for years. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he 
yeah, he's a, a real neat way of putting things, saying things, and thinking about things. Yeah, it's all about the about the journey. Yeah. We talked um, a little bit uh, when I first came in about kind of the magic that some people have between humans and horses. And I think when you see it, it doesn't matter whether that person is a rainer or a trail rider or a dressage rider or a jumper rider. There's just that magic connection going. And sometimes um, when we're teaching, I, I refer to them as muggles because I come from a world of Harry Potter with my kids. So there's the magicians and then the people that don't know there's magic or can't attain the magic are muggles. And there are frustrated muggles sometimes that despite a million dollars worth of lessons, they're having a hard time connecting. They, they know where they're supposed to put their legs and their hands, but there's something mechanical and something missing. And um, I think your approach to teaching when you start with someone is quite different. And I wondered if you can speak to how you start people out in your program and maybe how you get a bit of that magic happen for them. Oh, cool. Good question. I think for me, like, I never, for, for one thing, I never saw me doing what I do now, being a teacher. I never saw that years ago. It just kind of, the universe just kind of unfolded that for me. But I do have a lot of experiences from my own journey trying to learn to find the magic, if we use that terminology. Like, like hanging around these people on these ranches that looked, it just looked like the connection between them and their horse was magic. And trying to find um, what they were doing differently than the people that didn't have ma the magic. So then there was this pursuit. I, I call it the pursuit of unity for myself because I kept wanting to get along with these horses better and better and better. And so I was a student. I still am a student, but going to lessons and clinics and and... I can remember leaving lots of lessons and getting out to my truck and thinking, what was what was that all about? Like, what mm. was what was the message in that lesson? And I didn't know. And I thought, geez, that's that's that seems odd. I've paid some money and I've rode my horse around and stuff, but I don't feel any more educated than when I walked in there. So I thought, you know, as and it's been such an organic process of myself becoming a teacher, I guess, or an instructor. I started just doing. Uh, teach, I'd start off the way I, I wish I'd have got started off, you know, so so I guess, and I don't know if anybody else does this, but one of the things that may be different is um, our lessons are not in 45-minute increments. We, we prepare people to come here for two hours in the beginning because I feel the relationship between myself and them is really important, so that gives us the time to kind of let me hear their stories. and what. So typically what we do that's different is we sit down in these chairs mm -hmm. and I just ask them about themselves and let them, just like you're doing, I get them to tell me stories about when the connection was good and when the connection was not so good. Or, And then I, I try and pull out from them where it is they're trying to be um, and connect that to where they are. And I use a whiteboard a lot, and I draw pictures and use analogies, and my arena is full of quotes and things. And we'll sit there and we'll just visit for a little bit. And usually what, what's interesting is we'll have their horse in the arena turned loose, and it can do whatever it does while we're having this conversation. And then, then through 
through that conversation, my brain, and I, I don't know if this is a, a nurtured or nature thing, is I kind of start building a file. Mm -hmm. If I was working with you, I'd have Paige's file over here, and I would say, okay, I noticed that she's struggling in these areas. It could be a technical thing. It could be a, a cues versus maneuver, or cues and aids kind of a, an issue that's holding you back from the connection. It could be an understanding of, you know, how horses learn. It could be how to communicate with horses. But but I kind of let you tell me the story of where you're struggling. And then, then I just find a piece in that first meeting to say, okay, I'll go in that file and, okay, what can we do with Paige and her horse today to help you get a glimmer and some hope mm -hmm. that you can get where you want to get to? And then, then it may be an exercise or it might be, um, a little bit of theory about something or, or whatnot, or like I said before, I could I could be drawing from my own experiences of the different events and the different methods, if you want to call them something. And I think, okay, which which thing could I pull out that would give them something to work on at home that they could start to feel the magic? Yeah, and they could feel a success because, like we said before, if you could build on the successes instead of the failures, then then it, you start to crave more successes because that feeling is just all awesome. And then, like the other thing too, is I get a lot of folks that come here and they 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 say, "I want to book a lesson because they want to fix it today." Yeah. And um, and they'll find through this conversation that this. I mean, I've been working at this a long time, and I don't feel like I've scratched the scratch. Of, <laughs> Of learning this stuff so so but in that first lesson then i'll give them some homework and then usually what happens is i'll give them something and i have i have quite an arsenal arsenal of different things that i can pull out that their face will not lie to me when the connection happens because the smile will occur yeah so i'll give them something that that smile occurs and they'll feel a connection and that that could be a really pivotal moment with a student because they may have gone, I've had people go years and years and years and years without a smile working with a horse. And when they can have that little glimmer, and then then that opens the doors to, um, you know, going further down the track and maybe exploring some deeper connection and some other things that are going on. So that's one thing that I do differently. I, I generally spend more time at my whiteboard and talking mm -hmm. than sweaty blankets and miles because... Because I kind of have this belief that, and this is based on my, the way I learn, is if if somebody stands in the mill arena and tells me everything I'm doing wrong, it frustrates me and it and it doesn't stick with me. Whereas I look at my students like me, I'm I, I feel I'm a pretty intelligent human being. If I'm doing something, call it wrong, or inefficiently, it's probably be based. It's probably because of my understanding of things. Right. So if you could sit me down and help me understand what I'm struggling to understand and draw me a picture on a whiteboard or tell me an analogy or tell me a story or a quote that might resonate with me that changes my the way I look at my the thing I'm struggling with and it changes then 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 I typically don't need you to come over and yell at me anymore. I just go over there and do what I just learned. Yeah. So that's kind of what I, I teach. I'll show them way of thinking about something and some things they could tweak and then I'll let them go work at it. Yeah. So go play with it. Go touch it. Go go feel it. Go go do it. Now, sometimes you'll have a success right off the bat. Sometimes 
is it muggles? Muggles, muggles yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the muggles will still be struggling a little bit. So, yeah. so then I'll be okay. Well, I won't come over here, and we'll, I'll, I'll maybe say the same thing a different way. Because I, I, when it's boiled down, I think it's an understanding thing. Yeah. If they, if they, if they keep making mistakes and making mistakes, the the light bulb hasn't come on of the changing the understanding. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I've got lots of arsenal. Yeah. To to try and change their way of thinking about something. Beautiful. I think um, my theory is that the magic is attainable for people. So don't Absolutely. give up. Don't get frustrated. Um, and that there's the understanding piece, which is part of what we're going to try to fill in with the course that I'm building with my dad, but that there's this other piece because there was something that I had and lost, Mm -hmm. um, and am regaining (laughs) through practice. And, um, we touched on this in our conversation earlier that, um, horses are masters of, um, being in the present moment because for millennia, that's how they survived. And um, that when humans arrive who through stress or anxiety aren't in the present moment um, or who are feeling anxious, they will put up a block because then you who are supposed to be the leader can't be trusted as a leader if you don't know what's going on because you're not mindful or if you're worried what should they be worried about so i think um my other theory is that beyond learning um how horses think and understanding that a good number of our people today so many people are suffering with anxiety myself included um that that piece needs to be addressed and i was absolutely blown away to find out that that's something that you address in your program with your wife Yvonne that uh, she helps with that oh yeah 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 I mean it's uh, the, 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 I've never run into anything else and I've tried every kind of sport and thing you can do I've never run into something that is so complex the puzzle than working with horses mm-hmm. Because it's just so, one of my, my, my mentors, Ray Hunt, would say they know if you know and they know if you don't know. Yeah. And, and that, that truly resonates with me. Um, and, I mean, the internet is flooded with different quotes and things, but one of, one of my favorites is the horse doesn't care how rich you are, how tall you are, how short you are, how, they don't care, they just want to, they care how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. And the trouble is, that I think a lot of folks, they struggle with this idea that the horse is there to do things for them, to make them happy. And when the horse doesn't perform and do the things like a machine would do for them, that's when all those negative emotions come out and and the anxiety goes up because, you know, you want your horse to walk home instead of prance all the way home, or you want your horse to stop here, or you want your horse to do whatever it is so that it makes you happy or makes you feel good. And, but I, I mean, I can tell you the place I was in the middle of the field where I switched from that mindset to what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. What can I do to help you with your anxiety? Mm -hmm. And, and your, your, the things you find challenging, what can I do for you? And in a funny roundabout way, it helped me take the pressure off myself of, of the anxiety I might have been having mm-hmm. having in any given circumstance. So, um, yeah, I don't know. 
Did I get somewhere? Yeah. Question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that um, um, other things can be helpful for people with anxiety and things like breathing exercises and, sure. and Reiki so that you you aren't coming in with all that static that the horse is going to feel. Sure. Um, so I, I had um, the ability to connect with horses seemingly organically and easily that I couldn't necessarily pass on to people. And I lost it through stress and anxiety and crazy life cir circumstances and had to learn to regain it. And so part of being able to apply what I know and have horses react and connect with me again has been through um, breath work yeah. and work like that. So I kind of look at the, um, I, those, those things for sure are important. Um, but like one of the, one of the things I think has helped me with the, the, the human horse anxiety thing has been knowledge. <laughs> has been to just dive into books and go to clinics and learn new ways and um, of doing things because the 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 more we learn, um, I'm such a fan of knowledge because it's it's one of the one things that be, that can be taken away from you once you've learned it. You've learned it, and the more the more we can learn, like when when I maybe work with someone who's showing huge anxiety it's it's i think it's a it's a lot of it has to do with where they're coming at from their understanding and knowledge if right. they had some tools in their bucket to how do i deal with this situation or how and they, the more they can dive into gaining as much knowledge as they can about horses and i, I think of it like a bucket a toolbox yeah um the more things you can reach in there to grab to to help you with anxiety or or any emotion really Mm -hmm. you know, anger or whatever, the more tools you have, the the more calm calm you become in those situations. I know, I know at, at one thing I've been thinking about in the last year in my own journey is I, I ask my, the folks I work with a lot, like, what do you, what characteristics do you see in me that, that, that might inspire you or it might, that you want? And a, and a theme that's been coming out a lot with, with them is peace. Because they say it doesn't matter which horse I bring in here, you, I seem at peace, and I think that that and that, that's not to be big-headed to say that sometimes I don't go. Oh my God, this is this is too much. That happens too. Um, but for the most part, there's been so many horses that come in my life, and so many seeing the same sorts of problems. And when you when you've worked through those problems and come out the other side and had a success with these tools that I've learned from different, different, uh, um, places the you get this kind of inner peace, Yeah, you know, like, it's like, well, what he's doing, it's driving you crazy, but it's not really bothering me mm -hmm. because I know that I could shape that into this. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think that's, that's why I'm such an advocate for, for, for people to keep learning and keep growing and pursue the unity deck. Don't, don't just learn one method, like yeah. study horsemanship from all different countries and dive into a book about something that maybe isn't right up your alley as far as interest, but just just get in there. And there's, I've learned the craziest horsemanship lessons from weird, the weirdest places. I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. I went into, we in Alberta here, we have this event called the main event. Mm -hmm. have you, I don't know if I've you've heard, heard of it. it. Yeah. yeah. It's where they bring in all kinds of clinicians and 
and products to buy and it's it's a it's a good place to go to if you want to see all kinds of disciplines and all kinds of different things and i remember there was a there was a clinician that i everyone had told me you have to go see so and so and and i said okay all right well if if i should go see him i'll go see him so but they said you got to go early though because he's so popular that the place will be so packed and if you it'll be standing room only to see this fella and so I said to Yvonne, okay, let's make sure that we can see this fella because there's been a lot of hype about going to see him. And I said, to tell you what we'll do is we'll look on the schedule and we'll see who's before him and we'll watch them. And so we, we showed up for the clinician before the one I was supposed to see. And uh, um, he was a carriage driver. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I not had much to do with it. Carriage. I've been on a sleigh once or twice, but I haven't had much to do with it. So it wasn't really in my ballpark of interest. And so it was interesting because he was he was out there and there was two wagons and this fellow was standing in the middle of the arena with a microphone on and he was talking about cart horses. And I immediately went into the program or whatever to kill time until the guy I wanted to see came on. And so I'm reading through the program and I don't know, somehow I started hearing what he was saying and Yvonne was doing the same thing. We were totally checked out. We were just there to, to, to sit in these chairs for the next person. And he said something that stopped me in my tracks from whatever. I was like, what did he just say? And I leaned up like this and I, I started, he was talking about collection. And I'd been studying classical dressage and the pursuit of collection. And he was talking about collection and cart horses. And I'm like, I never made the connection that a cart horse needed to be, or a collection was a good thing for a cart horse. And so he says to the, he says to one of the ladies, do you mind if I jump up there in your cart with you for a second? And, I, and I'm like, I should watch this. So I started watching this. And while he's driving around in this cart, he's talking to her, which is a really interesting way of, I'd never seen a lesson that way. They're in a cart going around the arena. And he was explaining, he's like, look at, he was getting her to look at the situation with different eyes. And he said, look at this and look at that. And then he said, okay, now I'm, and he says, some of the horsemanship principles that I follow is, they were just following this horse. They weren't influencing it. And he said, okay, now I'm going to try and encourage, discourage, or rearrange some things. And he started to sculpt this, cart horse into the most magnificent, beautiful Grand Prix looking dressage type horse in front of it. And it just (laughs) got into this. And I mean, I was up on my seat like this, like, and he'd said things in a way that I'd never thought about him that way before. And just, just, and so I I was, I was like, are you hearing this? Like I was excited (laughs) about this saying to Yvonne and, and, I was totally enamored with listening to this fella. And um, long story short, he thanked everybody and left. And then this another fella came in and he did some things. And it was it was quite a show. And I learned some stuff there. But but today I'm telling you the story about the cart horse, not the fella yeah. I was supposed to see. So I had what I would call a happy accident just yeah. by being open-minded enough to to go and, and listen to what a cart horse driver had to say and so yeah i mean the knowledge can it comes from everywhere yeah and i think that's one of the commonalities between all great horse people is that they are open-minded yeah hey you're still here 
Thanks so much for listening. What you think and feel matters. If this resonated with you, please like and share. It truly makes a difference. I encourage you to engage with the content on my Substack account and my socials, all at The Magic of Horsecraft, where you can join the discussion and shape the future shows. Tell me what you want to hear more of or less of, and we'll evolve together as we grow a community of like-minded souls here for the good of the horse. If you're an adult amateur horse lover looking for confidence and clarity in your role of equine steward, check out my course, From Amateur to Magician, Making Magic with Horses, at themagicofhorsecraft.com. Until then, I'm here to remind you of a couple things. One, underneath it all, we all want the same things. To be heard, understood, and accepted for who we are. And two, anything is possible. Take a chance.